This is the Free Body Podcast, a podcast for every body. I'm your host, Peyton. In today's special episode, I talk with Shayna Gazanski, an amazing director I had the pleasure of working with on the play 4,000 Miles up at the Hangar Theater in New York. Recently, we got into a little conversation that led us to this very episode, where we share our thoughts on our roles as actors and directors, how we can help make the theater a more equitable, diverse, and ultimately healing community for all bodies, and how accepting ourselves for who we are, shadows and all, can create a world where we can actually accept others too, and live from faith instead of fear. And so how does all of that relate to the entertainment industry and studying the arts and and the theater as we know it? Long story short, theater needs therapy, as do we all. So buckle up. This is quite the journey. This is Shayna. I feel like there is something happening in siloed conversations about this moment in theater and the transformation it has the opportunity to make. Yeah. And I don't think that conversation has reached the level of pitch to actually begin to, for the dominoes to fall. Right. And I think that some of that is, I'm just thinking of the fact that like I'm Gen X, right? So I was sort of, I'm not a digital native. Um, And so, and I'm tail end Gen X, but you know, I grew up, I remember when like we got a printer in our house, like we went from a typewriter to like a <laughs> giant computer. Yes, so, yes. And and so I was raised with sort of this mindset that this is what the world would be. But then I sort of became an adult as the internet grew up and people started like sort of finding more freedom to be themselves through that process, I think. Um, totally. And so I feel like I'm a straddler. Like, I feel like I can see where current leadership mm-hmm. is and understand why things are the way they are. Right. And I can see that we need to make drastic, radical changes if we are going to sustain any version of structure as we have it. Because yeah. what the up and coming generation needs is different it requires a dismantling of how we've been doing it and that is the cross social justice programming how we lead who leads accessibility etc and i just and like how we make the work um and so i think it's a very exciting conversation and i think it is a conversation that can happen through multiple pathways, mm-hmm. which I what think a, what you're doing, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's the goal. I mean, that's as I started doing this, um, you know, somatic experiencing work and really learning about trauma and how it stores in the body, and mm-hmm. realizing that all of those techniques are things that we use in theater or as actors in our training. Like it's all somatics, which makes sense because somatic is just for those of you who are newer to the podcast, somatic is just having to do with the body. Um, and our emotions live in our bodies. They don't actually live in our heads. <laughs> like when I learned, when I figured that out, I was like, oh, 
that's what they've been doing. That's why we do all of this somatic stuff so that we can feel safe enough in our body, hopefully in an environment where we're able to access our emotions and let them just be free, like without thinking about them, you know? So I, and, and there's so many different, I mean, there's so many different ways we can talk about this, but that was sort of the, the biggest aha moment for me. I'm like, oh, well, this is why so many people I know over the so many years that I've been in acting training, I mean, since on and off since I was 14 years old, like, and, and even earlier than that, because I was doing shows earlier than that. But like, I started taking it seriously around then. And so I've seen a lot of different actors and different teachers and, and, uh, and how they all work and what works and what doesn't and what's been really healing for people and also what's been the opposite, what's been like re-traumatizing or incredibly triggering and not knowing how to support an actor or a student through that is just uh, first off, like it's no one's fault. We, none of us have learned any of this. <laughs> like, like it's never, it's not just, it's not your parents, quote unquote, your parents' fault that you have childhood wounding necessarily what it because if we just blame it on them we'd have to go back and back and back and back to every generation it's just how things have been it's it's been the way society has been for so long and we've created it a structure that isn't very sustainable and we're seeing right now like you were saying this need for change and my question these days is is it something that we can change from the inside or is it that we need to create completely new structures, actually create like new systems mm -hmm. that are not rooted in all of these things that are bringing up all of the pain and problems that we've been dealing with and, and, and many other folks have been dealing with for centuries, <laughs> for a very, very long time. Or since the dawn of time. Since the um, dawn, right? Since the first person traumatized somebody else. Truly. Who truly. knows when that was? Like cavemen, who knows? Yeah. And I think obviously so much of this is just the insidiousness of white supremacy and capitalism. Mm -hmm. Like, yep. I mean, I think- Hand in hand. You know, they are together. And I think- um, so I think that question and that tension between do can we even begin to address this from within slash yeah. do we dismantle the whole thing? And I don't I certainly don't have an answer to that. And I feel my gut says both things are going to happen. Yeah, both at the same time. Right. I think my question is. For the existing structure how can we get what we say we value and what actions we take to actually start to align? Right. Because I think there is a, you know, it's, I, I think a lot of this for me happened through parenting actually, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. when you're parenting, you are discipline means to teach a behavior. It's not to punish. It's right building behaviors and you can only parent what behaviors you have. So right. whatever I wish for my child, I have to also practice those behaviors. Mm. And one of the things that really made me apprehensive about having a kid was my impatience and what I felt was like low frustration threshold. Mm -hmm. And so in therapy, I started to practice <laughs> those things 
and deal with anxiety and depression and all of those ways in which it kind of leads to behaviors that function to protect you from that, but don't actually benefit you ultimately. Yeah, exactly. And so what I've noticed is the difference between being reactive and responsive. Mm -hmm. And I think right now the system is reacting and I don't think they're actually responding. Right. And I think they feel attacked. They feel attacked because it is in some ways a complete disruption to everything of like, but we thought we were doing the right thing. We thought we were doing all of this. And now you're telling us we're not, or you're saying that I'm too old. And I think, Mm. you know, that like, I'm out of touch. Oh God. And I think the reality is people are out of touch because they haven't, they have been doing what they have been told to do. And what is being asked of them is to change that. And if you're not actively engaged in this conversation, you are out of touch and it's Mm -hmm. up to you if you want to actually roll up your sleeves and do some very uncomfortable work Mm -hmm. for yourself in order to do really stunning work for your community. When we can do the work on ourselves, only then when we start to accept ourselves and our own shadows and our and, and our own shame and process all these things, that is when we can start stepping out and like making an actual difference because that's the only way we can respond. Otherwise, we're constantly reacting to everything all the time. And, and then it's just fighting each other. We're all just going to keep fighting and we're all going to have our defenses up and nothing's going to actually be able to change or it will just become a war and yes. will explode. And, you know, Which and that doesn't really create anything. Right. We have yes. seen this yeah. happen. We have right. seen actors and directors throw things and yell in ways that are just like, what, why are Who's dying right now? Nobody. This isn't, we're playing pretend. We're We're playing pretend. Saying words made up by someone. And now we're pretending we're in this space. And like, I think that is, you know, I think one of the things directors can forget is that even though it is pretend, what is happening physically is not. Right. The body doesn't know the difference. Yeah. And I think that is... Once I started to piece that together for myself as a director observing process, it really shifted my sense of what does safety mean in the room? Because- talk about that. Yeah, like it's not just physical safety, it's literally like psychological safety. I think that part of my job as the director with the stage management team is to get very clear about what the room needs to be and what I want the room to feel like on the first day and then discover what we can make the room feel like by opening night. And right. you know, the hope is that you build a room where there is space for someone to say, I need a break right now. I yeah. know we're not on our 80, but I need a right. break. And I would rather be the person who goes, absolutely, let's take a five 
then be the person who says we're not at 80 yet. So suck it up and let's keep going. Right. Right. And I think that mentality is dying. Mm -hmm. And I think it also means that collaborators need more support and more time to make work so that we can tend to the humans making it. Exactly. It's, it's humanizing everything. Cause I've, right 100%. now, like all of our systems and industries just take out the emotion aspect. It's like, Oh, you're just a cog in a machine or like, this is, this is, uh, you know, how this has been working forever. It, that whole saying, I don't know how I feel about this now, but the saying they say to actors, you know, if you are 15 minutes early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, you're fired. Yes. <laughs> yes. God, how many times I've heard that. And like, I get, I get it. Like, yes, we should all be on time, you know, respecting other people's time and energy. And, and I totally am on board for that. At the same time, we're human beings and mistakes happen. And when we internalize this sort of fear and this scarcity mentality, which is kind of what I was saying on the on the clip that you commented on, the scarcity mentality as an artist is so deeply embedded in us. Ooh. And I think it's it's interesting to think about what we take on in our lives because I, I personally, I don't know what you believe, but I, I believe in past lives, right? I believe in a soul's journey. Um. And I also know, like science-wise, in this lifetime that we carry generational trauma mm -hmm. and we carry ancestral trauma. And I'm curious about, you know, because I think of like the journey artists have been on for centuries and like where we exist in society and, and, and how that's most of the time has been up until probably recently where now you could be, you know, a billionaire artist. Right, that's right. not a really, <laughs> that's not a common thing. That's pretty new for our community, right? We're used to, you know, you work your butt off, you pay your dues, you you work these grueling long hours, and that's all still very much a part of it. Um, and I'm wondering, like, if culturally, it's a cultural thing. It's like our, our cultural as an artist, whether or not you've been an artist in a past life or if, if you come from a family mm -hmm. of artists, you do absorb the culture that you choose in this life, and, and that's such an intrinsic part of the culture that I think needs a lot of reexamining. I also think too, if you, like I was from a family, I'm the only artist in the family. And I think that means you have it, the pressure to prove oh, yeah. choosing that path becomes mm. so like, it's a different kind of pressure totally. because everyone is like staring at you going, why did you do this? This is so <laughs> right. hard. Why would yeah. you do this to yourself? You know, you have no money, whatever. But like, <laughs> I also cannot function in an office. It would no. slowly, I've tried it and it doesn't yeah. work. So, yeah. you know, I think, um, so I think, oh gosh, there's so much. I'm going to start with, I think that scarcity mindset is really, what that also does is it narrows the definition of success to a mm -hmm. the tip of a pencil. Right. And I think part of what, and I, I blame training programs for this. Yes, please come at them. <laughs> because I think that while understandably they are trying to prepare you for the reality. Yeah. I think you can also engage in mentorship around what is possible. and what you need to make that possible. So, you know, I think, I mean, listen, 
I haven't lived in New York for a long time. And I still, every time I go back and like, I'm home, you know, I <laughs> live in Massachusetts and I'm like, this is where I live. I, you know, it's a completely different thing. Very but different. at the same time, like the life that I have here, I would not be able to have to the same level of comfort in New York City. It is just oh, yeah. not possible. And, right. and I have a partner who has his own passions and his own, you know, we came here because he got a job in his field that would give us stability. So yeah, I, it really forced me, that really forced me to reckon with my ego mm-hmm. and also with a real def- redefining of what does success feel like for me? Yeah. And that means letting go of a lot of that ingrained, like it's only valuable if it's getting you to the next thing. Right, exactly. And I think that disconnects you from who you are as an artist. And I think then it puts us in a position where we feel forced to say yes to things Mm -hmm. simply to work rather Mm -hmm. than to actually nourish ourselves. And I think it reinforces this idea that you're only an artist if you're working which Mm -hmm. is such an incredible disservice to what it actually means to be an artist, because we all know this, the more you live life, the better your art becomes. And so when you're not working, I would actually say that's where all the work happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like therapy can either be, I talk to you and then I live my life, or it can be, (laughs) I live my life and work the therapy. And then I download the experience with you, right? It can, right. You have to, it's integrating. Yes. And so mm-hmm. I think of this as like, we need to begin giving young people skills to begin to develop a structure for themselves so that they aren't just saying yes, but rather thinking, is this what I really want? Right. And it's so hard to know, like, I I remember when I was younger, and I still was very much entrenched in unconscious behaviors. Mm -hmm. I'll say it that way, just not Mm -hmm. aware that I was perpetuating cycles, basically. And, and I didn't know, I did not know why I wanted to be an actor for a long time. I just, my body knew it. But my like intellect, I didn't know how to, I didn't know why. I didn't know the words for like why this thing. I wanted to be a singer for a long time. I wanted maybe writing or like, you know, I tried all these different arts and I loved doing them all. But I always would freaking come back to this acting thing. And part of me thinks it's a a little bit of like a trauma response because I come from a family of actors and I want to like prove that I can do it on my own and that blah, 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 blah. But the more I started doing this work, the more I realized that it's, it's it's been a place where at times in in certain fleeting moments i have felt more safe in my body to express myself and express my my emotions than i have anywhere else cuz you do give you are granted permission yes mostly unless you know maybe someone is like that's not the emotion i want in the <laughs> in the scene or whatever and then you figure it out you know but so in the in the workshop that I've taught for actors, which I hopefully will get to do more of because I really love this, it's called um, Freeing the Artist Body. And I basically do like a crash course in these healing techniques. I talk about somatics and somatic experiencing, polyvagal theory, um, and inner child work because I think that's really important for artists. 
And also the last thing I touch on before we like practice a meditation is dharma, your purpose. Like, mm-hmm. why do you want to do this thing? And it wasn't until recently that I realized that all the things, all of my interests that I've had over the years have started to blend together. And now I really do feel like I understand, like, I'm not just an actor. I'm not just a singer. I'm not just a yoga instructor. I'm all of these things come together in in what I hope is a a new system, a new mm-hmm. way of looking at how we do this work, right? And that's my dharma. My dharma no longer has anything to do with I need to get on a TV show. And I know that's easy for me to say because I'm on a TV <laughs> show right now. <laughs> totally admit. I know. I know. But I swear to God, like my thinking around this, when it started to change and it, my thinking stopped being about getting the job, making this amount of money, um, I stopped taking things so personally, like the quote unquote rejection, which I've been mm-hmm. pretty good about for most most of my career. But once that started to let go and I was like, oh, there's actually this greater, bigger thing that I'm more curious about and interested in doing, that's when all the money started coming. That's when right. I booked the job, you know? Right. It it's it is sort it is energetic in that sense, you know? And I think when we when we are entrenched in a culture that is about that has scarcity sort of embedded into it. It, it limits us not only in conscious ways, but it, it limits us in subconscious ways. Well, I was just going to say, it also means accepting the opportunity won't come to fruition. And I think right. that is where we have as individuals, I think, an opportunity to actually shift our thinking. And I think this is, so I'm trying to develop a workshop right now. Yes. Yes. That is almost like the brain part of your body part, yep. which yep. is essentially to begin a structure for people to navigate what comes up for them in not just as collaborators, because I think that's one, yeah. they feed each other, but individually, um, like envy right? is such mm-hmm. like people book jobs that you don't get that you wanted or that you, or they get the fellowship or they get the thing. Envy is baked into this field. Yeah. And we don't talk about it. We pretend it's not like a it's thing. it's not there. Right. And, <laughs> you know, envy actually has nothing to do with the person you're envious of. And I think yes. there is a way there, the people who get those jobs don't want to talk about it because they don't want to make that person feel bad, but the, that person probably already feels bad. Right. It's <laughs> right. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like it's done. Yeah. So yeah. instead of pretending envy isn't part of it, let's talk about how that functions and how to shift, how to notice when that feeling comes up and what mm-hmm. do we need to observe about what's happening to ourselves to then choose what action we want to take. Because maybe you are feeling like, I can't be around this person right now. I need like, just to take the, just to blunt the initial excitement and I will congratulate them and circle back around. Or I'm going to practice some Freudenfreude, which is the opposite of Schadenfreude, which is celebrating your friend's successes and feeling that sense of joy because there is so, Mm -hmm. if we can't celebrate that joy for other people, then it doesn't mean we're celebrating it for ourselves. Exactly. And I think also you're talking a lot about too, about rigidity. 
And yeah. you know, what I hear you say is you opened up that rigidity to allow for some flexibility and in yes. that flexibility, some relax relaxation probably came in that wasn't there before. And mm-hmm. it allowed for you to accept that maybe this wouldn't work out. Yep. Right. Yeah. Like it, it let you sort of be like, wow, the reality is I might not book that gig. So let me see what I can do with this material for me. Right. Versus right. For trying to figure External out validation. To myself into something that I think they won, even though I have no data to support any of my assumptions. <laughs> yep. 100%. Yeah. We call it, it's like a softening that happens, yes. right? Like <clears throat> I was like so taught for such a long time and, and I was kept there by all these coping mechanisms, which had become maladaptive coping yep. mechanisms because they were just keeping me stuck in this loop. And what I realized and what I've worked with my healer on a lot is when jealousy comes up, it's actually a really helpful clue as to showing you where you want to go. Because mm-hmm. when you're jealous of something, it's like, oh, I want what they have. It's actually not about that person, like you were saying. It's just about, oh, I want to be doing, like, even if you're not conscious about it, like, you could be going on Instagram and, like, see a video of some, like, some reel, and you feel jealousy creep up. Like, sit with that. Like, what is that about? Like, it's okay to feel jealous, right? We, we as society, we tell people, oh, no, we shame it, right? You're not supposed to, you should be happy for everybody. But instead of like attacking ourselves for what we're feeling, like sitting with the feelings, what is this really about? What is, and then like you were saying, the action thing I think is so key because if I'm jealous about something, well, that just means I want to be doing it. Okay, well, what, what do I do right now to feel like I can either accept myself for where I'm at or is there something I can do right now that I perceive as furthering me or getting me closer to that thing that I that it is I want like oh there's this screenplay I've been wanting to write for years I just saw my friend like had a screenplay accepted into some festival Mm -hmm. well maybe I should submit my screenplays you know (laughs) like that sort of right because we 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 have all these protectors and they're there to to they are literally there to protect us and we can come to a point where we realize they're just not doing that anymore they're just keeping us stuck in the same place and it wasn't until I started changing my relationship to when jealousy would come up because I, I was like so disconnected from it that I would pretend that it just wasn't there at all. I think a lot of people do that. I think a lot of people think that that's what they're doing. Yeah. And you shove it down, but it doesn't actually ever go away and it just festers and it, it keeps you rigid, right? Um, so that is that is so absolutely key. And I think there's so many different ways that that pops up not just jealousy, but like, I think so much of it is about ex- seeking external validation, <laughs> you know, that it's like for me for a long time, because it was about getting a job or, or proving something to who knows who actually, like, what am I going to prove to anyone but myself? It's got to, it's always got to come back to ourselves. And we distract ourselves with the external a lot as artists. But also we see it in leadership too, right? Like, people it's also like what is your you know I think a lot of it a lot of this from the perspective of director and sort of thinking of like how do you as a leader Mm -hmm. tasked with running an organization make some of these shifts and I think yeah what do you see what do you think what 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 do you what are you gonna do Shana I don't know 
I'm going to do. Uh, but I have a lot of ideas. I mean, I, okay, good. One, one thing I want to see is lead is artistic leaders um, shifting it from being their their theater to the they are a shepherd for that theater. They are it is oh, a like temporal that. ephemeral relationship because yes. then you actually have to make it functional for the future. And yeah. so what I'm seeing is a lot of collecting and protecting, rigid, um, you know, holding sort of resources. Yeah. Holding resources, holding back opportunities for people, um, holding back opportunities for community connection, all of it as a way to assuage their place in the field, to make them feel like their place in the field matters. But the reality is we're all going to die. So <laughs> what do you do? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, what do you I do. want to do? Do you really want to make it about how you look to other people or do you actually want to invest in the people who are here right now who have ideas about how to make their workplace better, whether that's in the rehearsal hall or in the board meetings or in the staff meetings? And I yeah. think it requires a real unhooking from, it really requires fostering your humility because it means saying, mm -hmm. I don't know. It means saying I did something I probably have caused hurt. It means apologizing for it. And then it means actually making changes. And I think for a lot- These are all anti-white supremacy things. A hundred percent, which is why I think, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know where I fit in terms of, I'm still trying to figure out like what my activist self is, but I see this work yeah. as supportive of social justice because mm -hmm. it requires so much willingness to accept discomfort into your day-to-day -day life. Yeah. And to actually practice real empathy, where before you send that email, you actually think about how does this, I know I can't type tone, but I yeah. can communicate intention Yes, and invite conversation. And I think a lot of people operate from, this is my preference, so it must be done versus this is my value. Are we enacting it here? Mm -hmm. We're like telling our values. We're not showing them. Exactly. Yeah. Which is yeah. hilarious given that all we're told is show, don't tell. But <laughs> right. every mission statement and value statement yeah. is all us saying the same yeah. version of the same thing. But then in action, we're still privileging certain people. And yeah. the micro steps aren't in my opinion, aren't happening fast enough. And I think that gets agree, into this yeah. idea of like, tear the whole thing down or work from within. And I sort of feel like both need to happen, but they need yeah. to happen simultaneously so that mm -hmm. if the working from within implodes the organization, there's also- <laughs> We have another one. <laughs> we get, we get another one. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I totally agree. I mean, that's that's kind of how I think about it, too, that I think because it does seem like how do you dismantle these structures that have been around for like centuries, you know, like have roots in things that have been around for centuries and are like 
culture is so a part of us as humans and how we function and what society looks like. And so, and so if, if just to use this as an example, cause it's my, my Dharma, I believe, but <clears throat> if I were to bring like this workshop to schools, to like other training programs throughout the country, and then, oh my God, if I could bring this to schools uh, and implementing arts education, and how it can actually also be an extremely healing, which we all know, we all know art is healing, but I, mm-hmm. I, I haven't really had many experiences in my life where people have told me why it's healing in a way that wasn't just, well, because it teaches us empathy. And I'm like, right. okay, but why does that? Yes, yes, I get it. I understand it. But I feel like there's more going on here. Mm-hmm. And it's actually like, it goes deeper than that. And so if I'm able to have a foundation or something where I'm bringing this kind of you know, this way of this perspective to all of these all institutions that are already existing. And at the same time, you know, over here, I have like, I'm building a little school or I'm building right. a program or whatever, then then it actually, you can kind of do these things simultaneously. And I think, I think the more we infiltrate the systems, yes. you know, the more that knowledge spreads and ex- and that experience of the knowledge spreads like the more people actually go oh i can just it's okay that i'm angry i don't have to act on the anger i don't have to do any i can just feel angry and be like oh, okay what's the boundary that i need to set because that's usually when anger comes up right mm-hmm. if everyone thought that way then i don't know maybe we wouldn't need completely new systems but i just don't think it works fast enough to infiltrate so i think you're right that that's like we need these two things kind of have to go hand in hand for where we are right now in society. At this moment. And I think at some point scales will tip in either direction. Yeah. I, I also think too, it's um the difference between thinking of this as, um, okay, so this New York Times piece came out, something about like the toxic theater titans and should they go away? And um, that's for a whole Great title. topic of conversation. That was a, yeah. that was like a loose sort of um, quoting. But anyway, gotcha. Um, but a lot of the article was sort of thinking about what we would what we lose. And my yeah. question is like, I think why aren't we asking the question, what do we gain? Why is it always what we lose? Because right. I think that reinforces scarcity. But it also yep. implies that what we're losing isn't worth losing. And I'm sorry, but there's some stuff that's worth losing. Yeah, and absolutely. And this stuff that isn't worth, that we can, con, you know, continually reimagine, that will stay. That's like Oklahoma is not going to go away, right? <laughs> yeah, it's having yeah, like right. a heyday of reimaginings. That story yeah. is, it's far enough away and flexible enough that we can do whatever we want, right? Yeah. And at the same time, develop a musical by someone nobody's ever heard of who lives down the street from your theater who's writing musicals. Yeah. So I just, I think that it's a both and, which I think is very uncomfortable for most humans to sit in that space where Mm -hmm. two things feel very opposed and to actually begin to take steps knowing it means embracing your going to mess up. And I think yeah. that's also the other thing that nobody wants to mess up, but we all know that failure is where growth is. 
It's what they teach in schools, right? This is like ABC one, two, three failure practice is the thing that makes you better at things. So I just think there are part of what I think needs to happen too, is just real thought work of like noticing those feelings or noticing that defensiveness or noticing that desire to, you know, make a decision that feels safe and actually using that noticing to then get curious about what's really going on and then making a choice. But we just go from feeling to reaction and we're missing so much opportunity. And I think that is what I would like leaders to shift to is not how do we maintain what we have, but rather what is possible for us moving forward and how do we get there? Because then they become integral to the places where they are. And right now, I feel like a lot of regional theaters could pick up and be anywhere. Yeah, yeah. That's such a good point. That's such a good point. I didn't even think about that. That like actually regional theaters... Part of what's what's so um, exciting about regional theater or can be exciting is the fact that, yeah, you could produce like someone in the community who's writing a, a piece and be able to like help that person hone their craft and support a, yes. an artist. And like, you know, that's and we don't really see that at all. I no. haven't seen that. It's, it's all it's all what's hits in, in New York or like yes. what we think the subscriber base wants to see. And, you know, and I get it. Like, the, I think that mentality is a lot about, you know, well, what's going to make us money? What's going to get our money back? Which is all rooted in fear because money is linked to our su- survival. And if we don't have money, then we think we're going to die. The money is has become an addiction because it's 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 not actually logical or rooted in a sense of reality anymore. It's... I have this and I'm afraid I could lose it all at any moment. And it's very, very human, but it's also keeping us disconnected, not only from ourselves, but from everybody else. And it's just living in fear constantly. When you're living and your responses are all rooted in a fear place, then how could you think about what you could gain? That, that requires hope. That requires faith and love. And, and trust and trust absolutely i think that it like you're this is so what i love about this is it really is embracing like what we're doing here i think a lot of times we think of theater as the medium but that is not the medium people are the medium yeah like paint is the medium (laughs) <laughs> to make like the canvas, right? The canvas right. isn't the medium. The theater isn't it. It's the people. And yeah. I, which is like my kind of mantra is mm. the medium is people. And if we're not actually caring for the medium, then the work suffers. And I don't care how critically acclaimed and financially successful something is. If people were literally harmed in the making of it, I don't want to be a part of it and I don't want to support it. And I think there is a lot of forgiveness because of that success. But I also think there's a lot of hoarding of resources, meaning hoarding of opportunity and power because the leadership doesn't want to lose everything, but it's not theirs to begin with. And I think that's kind of 
this is where it connects to parenting because I think the thing that I learned very quickly was like, she has nothing to do with me ultimately. She is her own person who is going to live her own life. And the best I can do is attempt to nurture a relationship where she lets me be a part of it. Mm. That's it. And that means practicing behaviors and continuing to work on my own stuff so that when I'm with her, I'm really with her. It's the exact Mm. same thing as directing. All of the prep is just to sit in the room to be present with what's happening in the room, which is the same thing that should happen with an artistic director, to sit with what's happening in their community and make decisions from there. And that just starts with, I mean, this is what I say to my kid every morning, kind, curious, brave. That's like those things to me, if we can, you know, kind isn't nice. Mm-hmm. Clear is kind. Unkind is I'm unclear is unkind, Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. love Brene. Lo- love her. Saint Brene. Uh. Um <laughs> but also, you know, curiosity is what allows for bravery. Yeah. And so I just because it means embracing a what if. Yeah, an unknown. And I just, I want us, I want theater to go to therapy in every methodology and approach and modality, (laughs) because I really think we purport to be a fountain of acceptance and empathy, and we don't act that way. And that misalignment is the thing that is actually going to keep us from the great American canon. Yeah. Oh. Mic drop. We should have a series. This is great. No, well, this is like, this is, but this is about everything you're doing. I'm like, this is so, and there's another woman in a theater moms group I'm in who's trying to do some work around yeah. also like, like, de- like when actors have traumatic yeah. responses, how can you support them? What's training around yeah. supporting that? So there is mm-hmm. something happening and I am, not surprised that it is mostly led by women, women of color, Mm -hmm. that it, because we have been the keepers of the community. Yeah. Really. But I also think we need to demand from the current gatekeepers um, more. I think we need to ask more of them. And I think if if they're not willing to do it, then we have to make certain sacrifices to say, then we don't accept this. And it, there are going to be consequences, which means saying no to yeah. jobs. We can, we can say no to things that aren't aligned with us. And we have to just, it requires trust and faith in the universe and faith that things will work out and that, that we actually have a lot more control over these things than we think we do. And Yourself, to feel right? safe enough to do that is a whole, that's the whole process. Because for most of us in this world, the way that it has been, it's really hard to feel safe to say no to anything. A hundred percent. In my experience. A hundred percent. And I think about this, like in terms of people just coming out of school, if they're only dharma or purpose or why is a gig Mm -hmm. the amount of suffering you experience is 
removes why we actually do this, which is it's joyful for us. Like yeah. it actually, it like no one goes into this because be. they're scared of their feelings. Right. Like yeah. we go into it because our feelings are often bigger than what our surroundings can typically handle. Yes. And so we Absolutely. find this place where it's okay to have big feelings and be you know, and- be weird and <laughs> silly and goofy and, you yeah. know, look dumb and the stupid you look typically the better it is, you know, like, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I constantly am like, look dumber, make it look dumber because it's like, <laughs> why not? This is so silly what we do. And I love it so much. Yeah. Even the yeah. dark stuff, right? The like mm-hmm. the stuff that really forces you to confront the nastiness, that stuff is also fun because you get to actually oh, yeah. you get to access your shadow. Yes. Yes. You get to yeah. accept the full breadth of being a human. And I think it is so wild to me that that is what we ask of performers. And then we don't practice. And then it's like, once we're like, okay, let's take a break. And it just, everyone is like, okay, yeah, see you tomorrow. As if it's still not happening. Right, right, right. So I just, I think there is a, if we're going to survive making theater in capitalism, as it dies, it's slow, (laughs) grinding, death. Death. we have to equip people with the skills to be able to continue functioning without feeling like they're losing their identity because they're not actively in a rehearsal room. Yeah, 100%. That's so, that's it. Because you can do, you can sustain the hard monotonous shit if you know that that stuff actually is just part of being a human who's alive in capitalism and you're doing it so that you can do this thing that brings you so much joy and until you're at the point where you're stable enough to say i'm actually going to say no to this thing because i have what i need but now i know how to do that because i've met my other needs so i just i think that there there's so much opportunity for expansion and connection. And in a certain respect, I almost feel like if I never direct again, but can do this work for people, that will be a life well lived. Yeah, it would be. I mean, I, I, I need you to direct again also, but also, you know. yes, yes, I would. I am available. <laughs> I'm very talented. I'm very, very talented. Can confirm 10 out of 10. <laughs> Yeah, no. I mean, that was when we did when we did uh, four thousand miles. That was one of the best theater theatrical experiences I've had for sure. And I, so much of that was because of getting to work with you and Robbie, obviously. Oh but my like, god! I mean, it was what just, a dream. I but that was a room where I felt like this stuff was percolating. Like it was mm-hmm. very joyful. It was very rigorous, which are my two words: rigor and joy. That's what I want my rooms to feel like. Um, that's the memoir. That's my memoir right there. That and also like I'm tired and I need a snack is my other <laughs> my other title. That's yep. my parenting book. This is yeah. uh, but this is the art. But it was a room full of such rigor and such joy and such. We all felt so lucky to be in that room with that play, and yeah. I think that's it, right? We all the play. We treated the play like 
the collaborator. And so I think we all tended to it and the storytelling of it and no one came in with, I know how this works. Yeah. It was, well, let's see what very little ego, very little ego. And the more I experienced that and the more I try to lead with that and letting my weird, awkward self be there on the first day. So people get what's coming their way. Um, (laughs) the more I see people actually be able to do their best work because they're not feeling the pressure to impress. They're feeling Mm -hmm. the experience of collaboration and curiosity. There's a saying that like when you are able to show up authentically and be as big as you are naturally, it gives other people permission to do the same thing. Exactly. So many of us stay small. We just, you know, we stay small because we don't want to make a mistake or we don't want to, you know, whatever it is. Like there's a million reasons to stay small and Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of courage to be your big, weird, loud, artistic, beautiful self in this world. And... I think we all did that in that room. I and really, that's probably I do. why that I went really, so well. Yeah. I still, I still tell the story that Robbie told one day about how um, he was, I talked about how insane I think running is. Just, I think it's absolutely <laughs> insane. I, don't I hate it. This. And he told this story that he was like, ru- he was like running. He got into a really intense running phase. And this guy one day yelled after him, what are you running from? And he was like, oh my God, what am I running from? <laughs> breakthrough. I know. It can happen anywhere. I still tell that story to people to justify my own opinion about running. Because honestly, what are you running what from? What are you Runners running? of the world. <laughs> what in God's name? Okay, that's it. Thanks for stopping by. You can check out Shayna's Instagram at Shago, that's S-H-A-Y-G-O. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Freebody Podcast. You can DM us your thoughts if you have questions about what we talked about today. Anything you want just to keep tabs on us um, because we have some really exciting stuff coming up. Thank you again for subscribing. I'll be back soon with more. Until then, be well.